Welcome to the Gold Standard. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, I guess, at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. Isn't it? It's called X now. I don't know. Social media at MG Sports underscore. Can I call it? Can I just keep calling it Twitter? Is that okay? Why not? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how you get rid of billions of dollars worth of brand equity and brand image uh, in a matter of seconds, but Elon Musk has figured it out. Either way, you can communicate with us there, whatever it's called, uh, at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall at 440 Sports as well. Of course, part of the 440 Sports Network. All right. Today on the show, choose your own adventure for the Nashville Predators in 2023, 2024. We're going to lay out all the different possible scenarios, some things that could happen. And then what do those, if those things happen, what are the consequences of those potential scenarios playing out? So choose your own adventure episode here in the summertime for the Nashville Predators, sort of setting some expectations on the different possibilities for this current season. Now, before we go any further, of course, we'll remind everybody that the gold standard is brought to you by those great people over at Jaspers. That's right. That's right. There's no hockey to watch right now. There's no football to watch right now. There's no basketball to watch right now. There's baseball, I guess. Also, Women's World Cup. If you want to watch the Women's World Cup, of course, they picked up a point in a draw against the Netherlands on Wednesday, which is disappointing. But they are going to continue on. They're probably going to advance to knockout. So if you want to get together and watch uh, at 2 a.m., I'm sure Jaspers is open uh, to watch those games in New Zealand. So go check it out. Uh, No, it's a great place to watch the games. Any game you might want to watch. Great place for business meetings. Great place for take the family. The kids love it. The game room's free. The parking's free. So please always, always, always go to Jaspers. Also, Nashville Hockey Now, of course, where you do your written work. Um, I'm going to be out next week on some much-needed vacation. I know you had some vacation recently. So if you are interested in the Nashville Predators farm system, I know you got some stuff coming for the good folks on Nashville Hockey Now, but full analysis and breakdown of the Nashville Predators farm system, according to Michael Gallagher, next week on the show with the great and lovely Jeremy K. Gover. So stay tuned next week if you want to dive into the farm system. And that's going to be up on the site uh, probably this weekend, right, Michael? Yeah, it's either going to be Friday or Monday. Depends on it's. I'm doing a deep dive into the top 20 prospects, and then I have the other ones listed there. So it's taking a little while to pull it all together. But some by Monday, it'll be up on the on the site. Coming soon. And what I need on my you know drive back is a comprehensive deep dive into the Predators farm system while my daughters are sleeping. So that is what I need because, or also maybe that puts them to sleep. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I don't know what the five year old thinks of of Joachim Kemmel, you know, like, I'm not sure how she feels about his wrist shots. I I do have a voice that puts people to sleep. So, (laughs) uh, I just mean, I just mean that the, I'm not, I'm not sure the five-year-old is fully bought into the Barry Trotz (laughs) rebuild. You know, that's, that's all I'm saying. Uh, okay. So go to Jasper's Nashville hockey now for great coverage, of course. And again, we'll have some prospect stuff for you coming next week on the pod. Uh, otherwise please rate review and subscribe, share the show. We've had some really great uh, numbers on the last couple of episodes it's the middle of no- nothing time for the NHL season. And so we really appreciate you guys uh, over the last month joining us. So we know there's plenty of new new listeners. So please, please continue to share the product. Uh, we do think it's the best Nashville Predators podcast out there. Uh, no, closely followed by It's All Your Fault with Jeremy K. Gover with the Nashville scene in the post. So make sure you check that one out as well. Okay. Choose your own adventure, Michael. And I'm going to start with what I think, and you can disagree with me if you want on this, what I think is the best possible case scenario for the National Predators in the short term, in 2023 and 2024. 
And I know you've been talking about potentially going and getting a free agent, uh, a big name, whoever that might be. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about Patrick Kane. You've talked about Tarasenko. There's lots of names out there. Uh, also trading, making moves at the deadline to be a quote-unquote buyer and the best possible case scenario. So let's say this all happens, and then we'll talk through the implications of all of it. I think the best possible case scenario is that they are they they spend some assets, whether that's at the trade deadline, whether that's preseason free agency, whatever it might be. All the young players develop. Andrew Burnett's system is clearly working and is a hit. That probably means you have to give up some future assets, whether that's draft picks or prospects. Uh, and then all these things work. All the veterans come in and, and fill the roles that they're supposed to with the new free agents. They get tougher. They get more active. They get more offensive. They score more goals. Everything happens. I think best case scenario is like they they claw their way to a two seed in in the division. And I'm 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 again, I don't believe this is going to happen. <laughs> Just want to be clear. But let's say hypothetically they are buyers. They get to that two seed. Number one, do you believe that's the best possible case scenario for this team in this particular season? And then what are the implications long-term of them being a potential two-seed heading into the playoffs? A two-seed in the division, I should say, at the end of this season. If, they're, if they accomplish that and, they're, and the roster is populated with a lot of these young players uh, like Yuso Parsonen and uh, Luke Evangelista, Phil Tomasino stuff, people, guys like that, then, then yeah, I believe that would be best case scenario because it's, they're not, they're not trying to skip the rebuild process and go straight to trying to being a, a playoff contender. If the roster is filled with young players and they just happen to play well, they're a little bit ahead in their development and they make it into the playoffs, they get to be a two seed and they, they're not having to salvage or they're not having to um, trade any, um, prospects or draft picks or what have you to kind of get some of these these players to be scorers or whatever. Then yeah, I think that that would be that would be great for them. I I think it's a little bit early, a little bit premature, just because we don't know what kind of head coach Andrew Burnett's going to be. We don't know how the system is going to work with these players. We don't know how the players are going if they're going to buy into the head coach. We don't know what Barry Trotz's vision is. There's a lot of what ifs and stuff. But a couple years ago, it was two years ago. We said the Predators could be playoff a playoff contender if all these things went right. If X, Y, and Z, if the stars align, all these things went right, the Predators can be playoff contenders. Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg had two 40-goal seasons. Roman Yossi should have won the Norris Trophy. UC Saros would played on a Vezina Cal played uh, like a Vezina caliber goalie. Like all the things that needed to go right did go right. They made the playoffs, and they, it still wasn't good enough. So. I, I struggle with this a little bit just because I think making the playoffs, you would rather make the playoffs and not make the playoffs, but it, it's still, it, we're still in that gray area where we don't know what this team is. Trotz has said, we might have to take a step back before we get better, but he's also making moves that don't indicate he has any, like any inclination to right. take a step back. So it, it's kind of, it's tough to figure out what this team is right now and where they're going to go. I, I think the implications of a run like that, certainly in the short term, fans are ecstatic. They're they're playing meaningful games the entire season. They they have a chance to get out of the first round of the playoffs. If that were to all happen, UC Saros, as you mentioned, would be playing elite level goaltend goalie and, and elite level hockey at that point. All the young players develop and Andrew Burnett's system seems to work. I think what happens though is there are two th two major factors in this part of the adventure. Should this happen? Number one, it raises expectations probably way prematurely 
And when you raise expectations, that then puts a ton of pressure on the younger players the following season to recreate it. It puts more pressure on the coaching staff to recreate it. And all of a sudden, Smashville is now back and thinking, oh, we need to contend for a division title. And I don't see that on the roster yet, even if they somehow figure out a way to get to a two seed, which, again, I I, I think is extremely unlikely. And in the process, you'd also be then giving up future assets to be a quote unquote buyer, whether it's cap space for a big free agent or future assets at the deadline to make you better to compete for that two or three seed. I just don't know if cutting the quote unquote rebuild, trying to trim the sales on it and accelerate it because you happen to be on a hot streak and think you can get to that two seed. Like, are they going to win a cup with this roster, even if they add one big name at the deadline or in free agency? I, I don't see it. Is it possible that if you're a two seed, you could win a, a round or two? And like, I, maybe my question is, is it worth the risk? And that to me, that's heightened expectations, more pressure on young players, giving up future assets. Is all of that worth it to be maybe a second round playoff team? I, I don't know. I think I think fans have a right to sort of go either way on this because being a two seed would be a great season and would be a phenomenal year, would be a phenomenal turnaround. And would be a spectacular, you know, fun, fun situation for them to go into the playoffs. So I don't I don't. But man, there's some implications to them accelerating and being too good this year, which is a weird thing to say in sports. Yeah. And and you look at the roster right now. It, it, the, the thing is, the way the roster is, there's not a lot of change from last season. Yes, you have Gustav Nyquist, Nyquist Ryan O'Reilly, Luke Shen. And then you add in Gurianov and, and a few other pieces that they've added or whatever. But for the most part, it's still your Colton Sissons, your Cody Glass, your Trennans, all the guys, Forsberg, all the guys that were here last year. So if you go and you make a playoff run this year, you're basically doing it with with much of the same team John Hines had last year. So there, there isn't really a rebuild. You're 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 not running it back because you're not you're not trying to go out and win a cup with these guys. But it's still mostly the same nucleus of the team that was here last year. And I don't know if fans are on board with that. I think I think they've gotten to a point that the apathy is so high that they would almost take a season or two of losing and high draft picks just to get some new new fresh blood in there. We'll get, to there. get something going on. So <laughs> we'll get there. So I think that's that's something that you that you have to look at when you're considering this, too. And also everything that Barry Trotz has told us throughout the summer that he he doesn't he's not inclined to give out long term high money big money deals. He's not inclined to go out and trade for big name players just because he can. He's looking for guys that fit his culture. All the things that he's he's talking about doing seems to indicate that he's he's maybe not a full rebuild, but he's at least looking to start from the ground up. So I don't know if making the playoffs and doing all the stuff in this scenario is conducive to that. But also, if it happens organically, you can't really fight it. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those things you have to let the season play out. And if it happens organically, then you know what? Embrace it. But don't try to force it. I I think that's the key is trading future assets. And again, when I say raised expectations, like that's a good thing. That's what you want is your team to be successful. So it's not like it sounds very weird to be like, no, I'd rather them be a wild card than a two seed. But what you're doing is you're putting a lot because there's a natural progression to, to growing a young hockey team. And if they were to jump out to a two seed, let's say, and all of a sudden raise expectations, the following season, you're putting a lot of pressure on two different types of player. Very, very old ones <laughs> and very, very young ones. This is not a collection of like 24 to 27 year olds who are all in their prime and like surging into a cup window. Does that make sense? 
Like yeah. they, they've got a bunch of like even Yossi and Forsberg are not young. Like they are not young anymore. And so they are they are either 32 year olds two years from now or a bunch of like 22 year olds two years from now. And I don't like maybe maybe I'm I'm maybe there's some more Carriers and Fabros and the, and some of those guys that actually do go from like 23 to 25 years old and they do enter their prime in two years and it is okay to raise expectations on those players. Maybe that's that's true, but it feels like this would be a false sense of security if they were to jump out and and kind of become buyers and invest in in this season and all of a sudden they're a two seed with not a lot of cup upside. To me, that's that's that could hurt them in the long run. And I know that sounds crazy. But like to your point, if it happens organically, let it happen. And that'd be great. That's perfect scenario is that they don't have to buy a free agent. They don't have to trade at the deadline and they still are competing for that two or three seed because all these pieces have come together and the plan is working. Maybe ahead of schedule, but the plan is working, of course, behind newly married UC Soros. So that's the to me, that's. That's a that's a weird one that I'm not sure how I feel about, but it sure would be fun. And I know that's a weird thing to say. So the second choose your own adventure here. Go to Jasper's, by the way. Uh, if you want to, if you want an adventure, go to Jasper's. No, uh, you sneak into the playoffs as a wild card. You don't do any purchase power at the deadline. You don't trade any future assets. You don't spend any money on the cap. UC Saros is extremely good. It, you know they clearly don't have a lot of upside in the playoffs, and they make it to the first round. They lose in the first round, but they're a wild card. Is that to me, is that even a is that a more productive season than even being a two seed and having raised expectations, or is that completely counterintuitive to sports in general? And it's just absolutely idiotic for me to think that. I mean, it's basically what they did two years ago. They snuck in as a wild card. They no one really expected them to be competitive, and they it was the first year of David Poyle's quote unquote competitive rebuild, and everybody had a career year and things just kind of fell their way and they ended up sneaking into the playoffs. It wasn't good in the playoffs because Colorado avalanche exists, but I, that's another one that I struggle with I'm, and I, I, when I was back working for the national post and the national scene, I used to not get into arguments, but uh, their old editor here at Dale Lombardi. And I used to go back and forth because he was very big on make the playoffs. That's good for the fan base. It's what they want. And I was always saying, miss the playoffs, get the higher draft pick, and don't prolong this and kick the can down the road. And I think there's merits to both sides. And I, I've just always been, if you're having to sneak into the playoffs, and I, and I know the 2017 Cup run is kind of the exception to the rule, but if, you, if you're having to sneak into the playoffs, you're not a Stanley Cup contender. If you're barely getting in, it, it's almost better to, to not be getting in. That being said, if you make it into the playoffs, like you said, that kind of raises expectations too. And then Fans start talking like, are, are we ahead in the rebuild? Is this team going to be competitive? Is it set up to be competitive for the next decade? It's a, it's another slippery slope. Again, if it happens, don't fight it. Just kind of embrace it or whatever. But uh, most of the time when a team does a rebuild and they do it the right way, you're looking at a minimum of a two to three year window of rebuilding before you're competitive. I think the Rangers had like a, a really quick year and a half rebuild a couple of seasons ago. Um, some other teams do that as well. but if you're trying to rebuild and do it the right way, it's usually not going to be one season, bam, we're, we're contenders again. So yeah, making the playoffs, there's a, there's a case to be stated of why it's a good thing. And obviously playoff hockey and getting, selling more tickets, making more money, all that's good. But I feel like it, it presents the predators in this false light of like, Oh, they're not that far off 
basically saying a rebuild is not necessary. I think everything they've went through the last three years under John Hines, a rebuild is necessary, but they're in this weird spot where the roster is not incredibly terrible, but it's not overly impressive either. So it's kind of like, how, how do you, how do you weigh each side? And, and what's interesting is the, and you know, I've fought this battle with folks too, which is anything can happen. The anything can happen crowd looking at you, Gover, anything can happen crowd is, is true to, to a certain point. Yes. You just get in. Anything can happen. Meaning you can win a round. Maybe you win two rounds. One time in history has the wild card won the cup. And I think only three times in history has a wild card gotten to the Stanley cup final. So statistically it's not true. <laughs> it, the anything can happen crowd statistically is not a real thing. We just happen to have one of them here. And so that's why it feels like that's true. It is. I, I blame true. I blame March Madness for this because everyone loves the Cinderella story. And when you have a, a tournament field as big as college basketball does, yes. But we're talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs where it's it's the hardest trophy in sports to win for a reason. Well, and even in your even in your analogy, Cinderella leaves the tournament normally around the Elite Eight. You know, rarely do they actually get to the Final Four. And again, those are great stories and extremely memorable for those small, small schools. But this ain't a small school. Like this is a one of 30 or one of 31 or 32, whatever. How, how many teams are there? <laughs> 32. One of 32 teams uh, like that have ever they statistic the probability of a seven or an eight seed making a run to even just the conference final is extremely low. And so it's just, it's not an, anything can happen. I, I think you have to, it's all about framework. If you frame it as anything can happen, meaning they gain extremely important playoff experience and win a series that to me, like, like I think it was the year they beat Vancouver or they beat Anaheim and then lost to Vancouver. Or beat San Jose. I can't remember which play. Man, I'm I'm like messing everything up here. Um, but it's the year that they. I think they lost to Vancouver in the second round after beating Anaheim. Like that was an incredibly important series win for the franchise. And 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 like learning how to win is important. Getting to the second round is important, especially for a team with a new coach and young players. So, to me, the anything can happen. Best case, truly best case scenario is you have a bunch of young players. You don't trade any assets at all it happens organically which means you're probably not better than the wild card but in that situation maybe you pull one upset you beat a, a, a team that's much better than you and you gain meaningful experience and you give the the Nashville Predators fans a second round playoff series that you probably lose that if you're framing it the anything can happen around that then I think that's almost best case scenario for the team better even better than being a two seed and like raising expectations and having home ice advantage and like all that stuff. I almost think that if you can keep your assets intact next year and not give up on the rebuild by spending cap space and draft picks and prospects, but also gain some playoff experience, that to me is where we get to a sweet spot of best case scenario. Yeah, that was the 2010-11 season where they they lost to the Canucks in six games after beating the Ducks. And that was important because that was the first time that this franchise had gotten past the first round of the playoffs. So in a situation like that, yes, that, that was very important for the fabric of the team, for the chemistry, for the fan base, give them something to be excited and root for. I just, I, if, if they are rebuilding or if they are trying to change the culture or reset, whatever, whatever you want to call this, this transition period that they're in, they cannot trade anybody from the farm system and they cannot trade any draft picks that are in the first three rounds, in, in my, my personal opinion. 
No, because I, agree. Going, I totally agree with you. You're going to need all of those assets. Look, in, in my opinion, they just need to hold the fort down for at least two years. Because in two years, you're probably looking at Luke Evangelista, Svechkov, Kemmel, Schaefer, LaRue. Like the farm system is loaded with, especially with forwards. If you can just stay the course and get to where all of these really young prospects that a lot of people are excited for get to the NHL, you're going to have a really good young team that's going to be set up for success, not just for one or two years, but for 10 years because of how you've built the roster. And it's this, it's one of those things where like, I get it. UC Saros is an all world goalie. Like you can, you can get into the playoffs just riding a great goaltender like UC Saros. You can win playoff series having a great goaltender like Saros. And that's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Like I wouldn't be surprised if this team made the playoffs and won a playoff series just because UC Saros is out there playing his ass off. And that that's the risk you run with having an elite goalie like that. Like we we saw Pecorine carry <laughs> the risk. It's the risk you run winning games and going to the playoffs. Yeah, that sounds funny <laughs> phrasing it that way. But for a rebuilding team, like you you don't want to win games. You want to lose games. You want higher draft picks. You want better players. But we we watched Pecorine carry teams of David Leguan and Sergey Kostitsin and all these guys that Martin Erath that, that weren't great offensive players, he carried those teams to the playoffs year after year after year. And Saros is, is, is an equivalent goalie. Same, the same, he can do the same with this team, which arguably has a lot more talent than, than those teams of the early, you know, 2010s or whatever. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what Barry Trotz's vision is because like I said earlier, what he's saying he wants to do and the moves he's making, they don't really line up. And if, and if, look, he signed Ryan O'Reilly to a four-year deal. If the goal is to flip him at the trade deadline this year or next year and the same uh, to do the same thing with, with Gustav Nyquist, if, if he's signing them to multi-year deals, but he doesn't plan on keeping them for longer than a year or two, and he uses them to then acquire more assets, more trade, more draft picks and stuff, then those deals make sense. But if you're signing guys that are already 32 and 33 to come in and play with these guys that are 22 and 23... Yeah, it's not necessarily indicative of, of yeah. going full, embracing the rebuild full on. I, it's funny to say like that the best case scenario on the ice this year might not be the best case scenario for the franchise long term. I think that's a weird thing to try to marry in your head as a sports fan. I think that's really difficult to do because, again, we laid out the best case scenario, but that also involves giving up stuff. Now, this is a little bit more palatable because you're not the best case scenario for the franchise or well, the best case scenario for the season is winning games. The more games you win, make it to the playoffs. That's exciting for the fans. But best case scenario for the franchise is to set something up that's sustainable, not just a one or two year thing. Right. And I and I I get that that's not how everybody thinks, but I'm willing to bet. And this is what's interesting to me. And what I mentioned last week on the show uh, with Adam is that I was sitting there talking to a longtime diehard Preds fan who who's been a season ticket holder for 20 plus years. And I was at a birthday party with him, good friend. And uh, I've known him for a long time. And I just, he, in, in back-to-back sentences, he told me like, I think we should go out and get Patrick Kane. And then the next sentence, he's like, well, maybe we need to trade Saros. <laughs> and I think like that set that those two, which are two wildly different strategies and directions for the franchise. That, that to me is what led to this episode, frankly, which is let's lay out all the different adventures that could happen for Preds fans. Because I really don't think any of them are, are, are truly bad long term for any fan. I think anything that can happen is interesting to me. Like, again, if they fight for a two seed, best case scenario on the ice, that's a great fun season and a fun playoff run. Maybe it's not great for the franchise long term, but it is going to be fun in the short term. If they barely squeak in and make the playoffs and they're fighting for a wild card because some of the young pieces have developed, 
okay, that's interesting. That's good. That that means they're winning hockey games and have given the fans something fun to root for. And we'll get to the next two scenarios and adventures in just a second. But like, it feels like going back to the the, the year where they they lost to Vancouver. By the way, it's when I first discovered how much we all needed to hate Ryan Kessler. By the way, uh, in that that particular playoff series, even though I like it when he's playing with the USA sweat, sweater on, um, that they needed that experience to win, as you said, sort of change the fabric of the of the organization. I don't feel like they're all in all that different of a situation. When you make massive sweeping for the first time ever, you have a new general manager. You have a new coach. You have a new staff. You have an entirely new farm system of prospects that aren't really, we don't really know what they are, who they are, where they're going to play, what it's going to look like in two years. We there's it's we're not that different of a place than we were. 12 years ago when they won that first playoff series that they have to sort of go through that learning process again. So that's what makes, I feel like a wild card upset almost more valuable than without trading future picks than actually being good enough to be a buyer. And it, it, cause I think the buying at the deadline is what stops the, the rebuild from happening. So anyway, all right. So that's, that's option number two. It is the evolution of a franchise. Michael is what it is. And the next evolution of the sports bars, Jaspers go to Jaspers. Okay. So here's here's the the other the next adventure down the ladder, which is they they don't do anything. Maybe they're sellers. They drop some contracts. Tyson Berry, right? They trade Tyson Berry. They maybe they trade Nyquist. Maybe they trade uh, you know a few of these guys that have sort of they're veterans with some one or two years left on the contract. They get a couple of things in return. They miss the playoffs, but they're playing fun hockey. They're scoring goals and. Maybe they're above 500 like they were last year, but not good enough to make the playoffs. Maybe they're in a playoff hunt, but they kind of sell some small pieces. They don't sell anything big. They're not trading Forsberg. They're, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. What happened? What are the implications of that scenario? Because then that, to me, also accelerates the rebuild in a, in a positive way. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be... If I'm a Preds fan, that would be my preferred like course of action. Because if you're, again, we don't know what this team is, but it, it's comprised mostly of the same team that John Hines had last year. And with a lot of the young players, with Afanasiev, Evangelista, Tomasino, those guys coming up, I believe they went 12, 9, and 1 down the stretch, which is a little bit above 500 hockey. But when you are, you're fielding a mostly AHL roster, that's pretty good considering the caliber of teams that they played. If, if they can get that kind of production, and I assume it would be better because I, I think that Andrew Burnett will be a better head coach than John Hines is, at least getting more offense out of the team, then if you do nothing, you keep you keep the good players that you have, the young players you have, you don't get rid of any, any uh, draft picks, and then you start selling off some contracts, you create more cap space, you bring back some draft picks, maybe a couple more prospects. I think that's the best course of action because that is staying true to the rebuild that, that Barry Trotz has basically been prepping fans for for the last couple of months. You missed the playoffs. You know what? You missed the playoffs last year. It's not like it's going to kill you to miss the playoffs for another year or two. And I, I, I'm just a big fan of not rushing the rebuild. A lot of teams that I feel like have rushed rebuilds have done so within a year or two. They get back to being the playoff contender. But they're, they're in the playoffs for two, three years, and all of a sudden they're in cap hell and they have to get rid of a bunch of big contracts and they're right back rebuilding again in three or four years. I just don't think you can rush the rebuild. I, I look at it, I look at the Colorado Avalanche as the perfect example. They did the rebuild the right way. 
they started going out and they started drafting some of these players, Bowen Byram, Kale McCarr, uh, Miko Rantanen. They, they you, were you picking at, in the top five, though, a lot. Yeah, but but that's because they're doing the rebuild the right way. They're not going out and trying yeah. to get some some stopgap band-aids at the trade deadline. Like They weren't afraid to suck, and they sucked for a good three or four years, and they went out and they got all these guys that are difference makers now. I think that is the best course of action for the Predators right now, especially with the young talent they have. Because if you're looking at this in three to four years and your top six is is Tomasino and Evangelista and Kemmel and all the guys that you're excited about now, and you add to that top five, top 10 draft picks or whatever, this is the, the, you're only, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You're only building yourself up for success because you have a young team and then you have more young players coming in and you're not going to lose what's making you competitive, which is the raw talent at a young age, because for whatever reason, maybe hopefully Barry Trotz will be different. David Poyle at the trade deadline always is like, oh, we're going to say it. We're going to not do anything. We're just going to sand pat or whatever. And then he'll go out and he'll, he'll go get someone that's like 32. And you're, you're sitting there wondering. I mean, the guy traded a first round pick for Paul Gostad. He went out and he got Andre Castis. And he like there's a lot of there's a history of David Poyle, Wayne Simmons, Brian Boyle going out and getting all these guys that are past their prime and adding them at the trade deadline because he's convinced they're, he's going to help. They're going to help them win playoff series. I hope. Barry Trotz takes a different course of action, but yeah, I say, I say, ride it out, miss the playoffs for a year or two, go and get your high draft picks infuse the the roster with all the young talent that you have. That's competing in Milwaukee. And that's the best, that's the best long-term scenario for the franchise. In my opinion, I I do want to, I think Colorado is a good example here to study because it wasn't, it wasn't just three years though. It was like seven years of really bad hockey. They had one good season mixed in, in there where they were actually like a 112 point team, but basically it was, they missed the playoffs in like seven out of eight years. So it's a lot longer of a rebuild and a much worse rebuild because they were picking in the top five. But I think there's a, a good point you're to, to learn from because remember the Sam Gerard trade. And this is what I'm curious about. It was it was eight game. years of, of finishing third or worse and they made the playoffs once and that was in 2013, yeah. 14. Yep, yeah. and it was bad. So what I'm curious about though is like, do they have enough in the farm system and with draft picks currently that if they are going to trade off some contracts, Tyson Berry, who, you know, pick a name, right? Whoever's on, whoever that, that somebody might want at the deadline because the Preds aren't going to make the playoffs in this adventure. I am curious if there are players who are like first year players in the NHL, they're not prospects. I would then be willing to trade draft picks, package them with some of the veteran expiring contracts that you're selling at the deadline to get somebody who's further along in the development process, not less 18 year old first round draft pick guys and more the way Sam Girard was clearly ready to start in the NHL when Colorado acquired him. Right. Like, kind of like I'm Montreal not, just did with acquiring Alex Newhook. Yeah. Like, a, and I don't, and I'm not smart enough to know who in the NHL would qualify or which team will be in a winning position that wants a, 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 a veteran defenseman or a veteran forward who also has like a young player who doesn't really have a spot on the roster, but they're, but is good enough to give up. And then, and then I'm okay if they are trading draft picks or prospects for a player who's further along in the development process and is maybe more of a, you know, a 22 year old who's already played one year in the NHL, right? Like that, that's, that's a different strategy. Cause I think that's what some of the pieces they need. Like I, I don't, they already have so many draft picks and so many prospects. I don't know what they gain from getting even more of that, but if they're going to use that to get somebody who's maybe a little bit more proven as a young, young, young player, like acquiring Sam Gerard when Colorado did, I think that is also a, 
would be a major part of the strategy if I'm very like if I'm a fan, I want to see them go maybe get again, I don't I don't know who the name is, but go get a forward who's 23 and just scored 18 goals in his first season. You know what I mean? Like that that's the kind of guy I would be interested in acquiring if I'm the if using picks and prospects and veterans at the deadline. That's a different way to look at it also. Yeah, and I, I think kind of comparable, I guess, recently would be like Montreal two years ago trading for for Kirby Doc. Obviously, Chicago was in a situation where they're rebuilding and they were trying to sell off pieces and acquire everything they could. But Kirby Doc was coming off a season where he had nine goals, 26 points. He's a, he's a former number three overall pick. So like the potential is there. Everyone sees the potential. And he, I think he was only 21 or 22 at the time. They, they had to give up a first round pick and I believe a, a second or third round pick to make that trade happen. But Kirby Doc, from all reports coming out of, you know, Canadians camp up there is going to be a good player. He's still only 22. And I think if there, if there is a player like that, someone out there, they can go and acquire and do that. That would be fantastic. And there's still obviously offer sheet as a possibility, Trevor Zegris, some players like that. And I know that's what fans want. Like the, the number of Predators fans that keep asking me, when are they going to offer sheet Trevor Zegris is, is hilariously entertaining, but Going out and getting a player like that, someone who I would say is 24, is between the ages of 20 and 24, that has shown potential, but the team is probably ready to to move on from them because they're they're not in a place to sit there and wait three or four years for the guy to develop. I think that would be good for the team to do. I don't know anyone like that off the top of my head, right. but adding someone like that would be good. Going out and and trying to trade for somebody that is well past their prime or is, is even close to the age of 30, I think would just be bad because it goes yeah, again yeah. what the team's trying to do. Well, and, and honestly, like these are famous last words, but how many more 18 year old first round forwards do they need in the system? Like, I mean, they have a lot of them and odds are at least one or two of them are going to hit, but like, we don't need, I, I don't want to see a bunch like, yes, they've got some draft capital and they've got a bunch of farm prospects, but like how many Matthew Woods can you have? What you need is Matthew Wood four years from now. That that's what you need to acquire. That that's the kind of target piece that I would be looking for if I'm if I'm using assets to acquire picks or prospects. I'm actually trying to sell veterans and picks to try to get that middle ground of somebody who's sort of in between an established star and a prospect. Like I want someone further along in the development process because they need they need some guys that are a little bit more like where Evangelista is, right? And even he even he's a little young where Tomasino is. They need a guy who's kind of been in the AHL for two years and maybe one year in the NHL. Those are the kind of guys that you feel more comfortable acquiring at, the, at that point. So I, I, I see this one, the two middle options here that we're talking about, because we're going to get to the fourth option here in a second. The two middle options feel like the best options if I'm a fan. And then it's just dependent on how fast, like how much patience do you have for the rebuild? How much time do you think it should take? Do you, how much is a, a you know, a run at a playoff spot worth for you? How much is a first round loss in the playoffs worth for you as a fan? As long as you're not giving up stuff. I think you have to give up a little bit more at the deadline to continue the rebuild. Like I think you can, you can use the, you can use two trade deadlines in a row to continue to build for the future. And if you do that again, you're probably not making the playoffs this year. And I think that's okay. Now go to Jasper's everybody. Let's get to the final choose your own adventure. So the fourth and final adventure, go to Jaspers, is essentially trading UC Saros. Like, it's just the full-on, 
as deep a rebuild as you can possibly do. I think the one we just discussed, Michael, sort of barely missing the playoffs, maybe you sell again at two deadlines. I think that one, you could actually do it in two years missing the playoffs. I think by the third year, counting last season, this upcoming season, and then in two years from now, you could be back fighting in in the playoffs because you've got some of these young players that are going to be all over the roster. Andrew Burnett's second season as the head coach. The system has taken root. Uh, you know, the farm system is continuing to develop. I, I truly believe they could do the rebuild in two seasons of missing the playoffs. Is that is that best case Stanley Cup championship caliber rebuild? Who knows? I don't, I don't know. Only time will tell. If you want to go deeper rebuild and choose this adventure, it has to involve trading UC Soros. It is it's you and maybe somebody else that's bigger. I, I certainly not Forsberg or Yossi, but like could involve other pieces as well. So if you're trading Soros, you are essentially saying we are waiting for Yaroslav Askarov to come up in probably two or three seasons, maybe two seasons. He's going to probably have to learn for a year before he becomes the guy that they think he becomes. I think you're probably talking four years of missing the playoffs at that point. To me, that might be a the way you actually get to the Stanley Cup championship. That might be the best way to do it. But I think you are asking the fans to sit out the playoffs twice as long, maybe four or five years and not two years. That adventure is dangerous because, as you said, not all these rebuilds work all the time. Yeah, and it's also dangerous, too, because other than the the infant stages of this franchise, team, like the fan base isn't used to not missing the playoffs. They've been spoiled ever since, I would say, probably like 2008 up until now. Because they have been used to having playoff contenders. They had a cup final team one year. They won a president's trophy the following year. Like they've been spoiled with good teams that have largely won games and and had playoff runs. Sitting out four years of the playoffs is a big ask of a fan base that three or four years ago just got used to the taste of winning, just got used to being mentioned in one of the as one of the elite teams in the NHL that just got used to having the spotlight shine on it, not just for hosting big events and throwing wild parties, but for being a good team. I don't I don't know if the fan base is ready to handle that. I don't know if the Predators front office is ready to handle that. David Poyle, I believe it was last year, even said he he's prided himself on going so long without having to embrace a rebuild. He's prided himself on the longevity of of being a playoff contender. Some years that means getting stopped by by Colorado and eliminated in four games. Some years that means getting all the way to the to the conference final. I mean, it, it's a tough ask for the fan base, but I do believe you're right. Like if you want to build a sustainable cup contending team not just for one or two years, but for the long haul, I believe this is the best case scenario. I just don't know if the fans, if the players, and if the front office have the patience to, to do that. I mean, you look at Philip Forsberg, the guy's 28. You're basically asking him to just be on autopilot until he's 32, and then he can maybe have a chance to go out and win a cup. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's something he's going to be embracing. You look at Roman Yossi, who's I believe was 31. You're basically asking him to sit there and take a knee until he's 35, and then you go out and start winning cups. I just... It's a slippery slope to try to expect everyone to be on board with that. But, I mean, again, and I hate bringing up the Colorado Avalanche, but you look at what the Avalanche did. That that was exactly what they did. It, it hurt, and it, it took a while for them to get to where they are now, but they have a Stanley Cup. They have a team that's littered with players that are 25 and younger. They're going to they're gonna be con- contending for Cups probably for the next 10, 12 years if all things go according to plan. Everyone stays in place and stuff like that. But, I mean... If you if you if the goal is to keep Askarov and eventually trade Saros, 
I get it. I, it. Askarov could be better than Saros. He could be worse than Saros. We don't know what he is. We don't know what the kid's going to be. He looked right. he looked good this year up until the playoffs. It concerned me a little bit that when they got to the playoffs, well, when they got to the conference final, that's when he started to look human. And then Devin Cooley came in and played better than he did and kind of took the job away. But if Askarov is the real deal and you believe that he's the guy, you trade Soros, you get as much as you can. But if you're if you're if you're trading Soros, that means you're kind of waving the white flag on at least the next two to three years. So uh, unless and there's one caveat to all of this, un- unless Askarov is far more ready than you think. And you get a blue chip star in return for Soros. I'm talking eight million dollar a year, 35 goal score, right? William Nylander. Like you get a bona fide star and you think Yaroslav Askarov is ready. That's the only way to me it makes sense. Cause I don't, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear the arguments for like the truly deep rebuild to, to make it four years. I, your point about Forsberg and, and Yossi is essentially you're asking them after signing them to long-term contracts to say, look, we're going to waste your, the, the, the four years you've got left or whatever for Yossi in particular. And like, you're just going to have to be a part of sh- shitty teams. Like that's, that that's on, I, I don't like that part. I, the fact I, that Forsberg and Saros are both 28 and Yossi's 31 leads me to believe that they're not embracing a full rebuild. I don't think Barry Trotz wants to waste the primes of his three best players. Well, I don't think it's a full... I, I think you can do a full rebuild in like two or three years. I, I don't think you have to trade Saros to make it a full rebuild. And maybe this is the beauty of the situation, is that with those three pieces... You don't have to go seven years like Colorado did because you've got your goaltender, you've got your star Norris Trophy defenseman, and you've got your 30-goal scorer, 35-goal scorer in Forsberg, and they're all established at what they do, and you kind of know what they're going to get. With Forsberg, you know you're going to miss 18 games, and otherwise he's going to be productive, he's going to be streaky, but he's very good. In the playoffs in particular, you're going to have Vesna-level goaltending and a Norris Trophy-caliber defenseman. Like that, That is part of why you don't have to go full seven-year Colorado garbage hockey rebuild. If you trade Soros, that's sort of what you're doing. And so I don't think that is... Now, here's the other element of all this. Soros is going to be 28. His birthday is at the end of the season. So he's going to be 28 for all of this coming year. He's going to be 29 for all of next year. Those are the last two years on his contract. It's not It's not out of the question that you are re-signing him for four more years after that and that you have six more years of UC Soros and that he is just your plan at goaltender for the foreseeable future, and you're using Askarov as the trade chip, the way Barry Trotz toyed with the idea during the draft, to go get that forward or to go get that. Maybe that's how you get a 22-year-old forward who's already played one year in the NHL and is kind of established, has a pedigree, and that's what you can get for Askarov. Like, there's there's also another element to all of this where UC Saros has still got six years left as a Vesna caliber goaltender and not just two or three. In which case, you just sign him to another deal. He's probably going to be more expensive than than the the what you're paying him now. He'll, He'll be making Pecorino money. He'll be getting seven million, if not right. more, per season. Right, but like four years, twenty eight million at that point for a Vesna. If you know that you're going to get four more years of top five Vesna caliber goaltending, that's worth it. And that, yeah. and then at that point, you you have your goaltending, your Norse defenseman, and Forsberg locked in with with hopefully a bunch of these young players having developed, and then you're only sitting out the two seasons. I, I think the advent, like, I guess this leads us to what do we think is most possible and what do we think we like the most? It sounds like you you like number three. So if number one is be a buyer, sell assets, and push for as best a playoff spot as you can get, 
Number two is sort of hold firm, stay steady, fight for a playoff spot. Number three is a soft sell at the deadline, knowing you're probably going to miss the playoffs. And number four is like a deeper rebuild where you're trading Soros in particular. Of those four, it sounds like you like number three the best, right? Yes, I, I think the third option that we discussed is probably the best for for not only for the team, but for for long term sustainability. For for any forgetting Sarah Marshall fans out there, do nothing. Just do nothing. That's all you got to do. PPOP. If you, yeah, if you miss the playoffs, oh well. You know what? You, you have a higher draft pick. I, do less. I think. Do less. Yeah, do less. I think the the core of this team is young enough and it's good enough. And by the core, I'm not talking Forsberg, Yossi, Saros. I think the core of the right. prospects, that's probably a better way to... I think the core prospects they have, Evangelista, Kemmel, LaRue, Svechkov, those guys. I'd even throw Tanner Molendyke in there because I was really impressed with him during development camp. Um, but I think the core of, of what they have prospect-wise is good enough to transition to the main roster over the next two years. You couple that with Forsberg, like we said, who was a perennial 30-goal scorer, with Saros, who's who's going to be giving you Vezina caliber stuff all, all year, with Roman Yossi, who apparently can't go a season without scoring, you know, 70 points or whatever. Like, if you have those three guys as your constants and you bring in the young talent that this team has, I don't think you need to go through a four- or five-year rebuild. I think the legwork of the rebuild has already been laid out by David Poyle over the last three years with these draft picks. Getting Joachim Kemmel was a huge feather in his cap because he shouldn't have fell to 17 last year. He was projected to be a top 10 pick. And if Matthew Wood hits and he turns into Tage Thompson and Tanner Molendyke becomes, you know, what Ryan Ellis was, all of a sudden you're looking really good in two to three years. I, I think number three is the best course of action because you're letting it ride. You're you're basically you're, you're letting this thing ride out. You have your team in place. If you acquire more draft picks by trading contracts like Nyquist and O'Reilly's or whatever, great. I think I think it's basically just a waiting game of wait till the guys you have in the farm system get to the NHL and then things are going to take off. Yeah, I, I think you're right that number three is the, the the primo spot, which is use one more deadline and one more draft to set you up for the next 10 years. I'll also add in there, too, because I've never seen fan the fan base divided as much as when you talk about trading Soros or keeping Soros. Based off of my interactions with Barry Trotz and what I know about him. Askarov was Askarov was David Poyle's guy. I'm not convinced that he's Barry Trotz's guy. I don't think David Poyle would have even considered trading Askarov if he was still the general manager to move him to the, to the top five of the draft. The fact that Trotz was willing to dangle him out there, and I'm not saying a deal was close. I heard that he had he had offered both first round picks and Askarov to get either the fourth or the fifth pick, and neither much. of those yeah neither of those teams bit on that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if this year or next year a scar off is traded. And like you said, Saros is re-signed to, a four, to another four or five-year deal after his next contract ends. I think Saros is the goaltender for this team and a scar off is trade bait. Which leads me to what do I think is going to happen. And I think because they have some pieces and, I, and the hope for Preds fans should be that Andrew Burnett's system leads to more excitement, more entertaining hockey, more goals. I think number two is the thing that could happen. The question is, what are the implications of number two in this scenario, which is fighting for a playoff spot? Maybe you don't trade some of those contracts. You don't use the deadline to acquire more more assets. What does that do to the team long term? I, I don't know. I think that's where they're. I just think two two ter- two trade deadlines and two drafts is how you set the team up with with Soros and Yossi. That's how they do it. Yeah, I, th- I think number two is probably the likeliest scenario to happen. But I think three is is the better scenario for the franchise. But again, if if you if we're going with number two, 
you're not buying. You're kind of staying as is. Of course, we expect Saros to be great. And the team scraps and gets into the wild card. Then you know what? You you can't really fight that. That's that's going to happen when you have a goaltender as good as UC Saros is. And if you're right. if you're if you're fighting for a wild card, you're not even trying to compete, so to speak. Then then you take that. You add a couple pieces. Maybe you don't go out at the trade deadline and add 32 year old PA Parento. Maybe you go out and you get a 25 year old <laughs> that that has put up a couple seasons of 20 or 25 goals or whatever. If you can go out and add a Kevin Fiala at the trade deadline as opposed to going out and getting a PA Parento, and I realize it's hilarious that I just mentioned Kevin Fiala as, as a trade acquisition, but yep. if you can get a player like Fiala at the trade deadline as opposed to a PA Parento or Brian Boyle or anyone like that, and that yep. helps you and it makes you better, then you know what? And, and it's not just for like that's the end of that season. It's not just a right. rental. Then that's ultimately helping you the next season too. So a case could be made for number two. I think that's the best case scenario as far as entertainment value. But if you're, if we're talking about longevity of building this thing up, number three is best. I, I don't think you can go wrong with two or three, to be honest. I, I think you're right. And I, I, I don't like the idea of acquiring anything in general. Um, but, but I, I think if you can accomplish our, our second adventure here, which is pushing for and winning a wild card spot and then challenging in the playoffs for, and gaining that kind of experience as a team with the young players, to me, it's how and why you got there is what makes it valuable. If you do nothing and you see young players become better and Soros stays where he's at and Brunette's system works and the reason they are fighting for a wild card spot is because of the rebuilding that Poyle and Trotz have done, then I think you're in a sweet spot that really is tremendously valuable. The, the, the risk reward of trading off, I guess it's, you're giving up one more deadline of, of acquiring assets in the future, right? One more deadline of not tra- like you're, you're not going to trade off pieces like you did last year if you're fighting for a playoff spot. So if, if you, if that, the value of acquiring a couple of extra picks or getting rid of Tyson Berry's contract or whatever it might be, I don't think that's worth giving up the opportunity for the growth. If the growth is happening for the right in the right way, which is again, brunette's coaching system and the young talent becoming star be, turning into star power. If yeah. those two, if those two things, if they are challenging for a playoff spot because the, 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 the strategy is working, then I think it's, it's the best case scenario for the franchise. If they are challenging for a wild card, because they went and traded like three first round picks for Kevin Fiala. I, that's where I'm kind of like, and I'm not saying Fiala specifically, but a player like that, that's where I kind of go, I don't know, that's where you can start to halt the rebuild because then you're removing another draft class of really talented pieces that you potentially should be acquiring next summer. So I don't I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. I think I think it's a really interesting place for fans to be because I think all four of these options have some positives. All four of them have some negatives. And which one is the one that gets you to the Stanley Cup championship? I don't think we know. I think I think you and I believe that it's two or three, probably three. It's certainly not one. Four is going to ask a lot of the fans. I, it's a, it's an interesting place to be if you're a fan because I think the rebuild could could be de, be finished in two years. I think you could be back in the playoffs and surging upward in the in the trajectory of the franchise in two seasons missing playoffs. I think. Yeah, I, I think the context matters. If they if yeah. they are a wild card team because Philip Forsberg had another career year and Ryan O'Reilly somehow fell into a thirty goal season. And they, I don't know, they acquired someone at the trade deadline that, that helped them. That 
I don't think is the same as make as being a playoff team because Luke Evangelista had a 25 goal season and Philip Tomasino right. had a 60 point season. If you if you're a playoff team solely because Andrew Burnett's coaching worked and Evangelista and Tomasino and Parson and Novak and the young guys took that next step in their development and turned into regular full-time NHL players, that to me is the best case scenario. Talking about talking about the rebuild, missing the playoffs, stuff like that. I, I get all that. But if you are a playoff team because your young core of players that are 22 and 23 carried you to the playoffs and you have a, an all-star goaltender, that to me is the perfect scenario for the Predators because then that that shows the, this rebuild doesn't have to be a three, four-year painful grind. This rebuild could be over next year because if this team is a, play, a playoff team this year with a lot of the young pieces they have and then they add a Joachim Kemmel to that next year, and they add a Zachary LaRue to that the following year after that, that to me shows that the rebuilding that David Poyle did, and he's not going to get a lot of credit for this because of just the way that this past season ended, but a lot of the players that are in the system now, all of them, except for the guys that were taken this year, David Poyle put them there. So all the work that's been done over the last couple of years has, has led to this point. And if you are a playoff team because you have a young roster of 24 and, young, and under players and all these guys in Evangelista and Tomasino hit, which is exactly what you want. That is a lot different than fighting your way into the playoffs right. because you went out and traded for someone at the deadline, right. and and all and all these guys had career years. I I am now changing my opinion of what I think is going to happen. I think number three is going to happen. I don't think they're good enough to make the playoffs, but I think there is some development. I think they use the deadline to maybe move a couple of contracts, and they have one. They have they have as I said, they have two deadlines and two drafts to complete the rebuild, and Soros entering his age. 29 season on the last year of his deal is ready for they're ready to, to make to start the trajectory upward where they become a wild card team one year then the next year they're the two seed then the next year the goal is to be a division front runner and when you become the division front runner that's when you are a stanley cup contender so that that's the that's the idea is that one more bad season one more average season maybe playoffs then a two seed, then a one seed. Like that's the goal. Like is to watch all the young players go through that that progression. Uh, that's that, I think that's now that now that's what I think is going to happen this year. I'm changing my my guess. <laughs> Asking them to for all those things to happen, I think is probably too much to ask. So um, yeah, I, I think it's probably year two, Andrew Burnett, where they're making the playoff run and and pushing into the playoffs for a wild card spot. Not great, not a cup contender, but pushing into the playoffs because all the young players have finally started to to take over those starting roles. So, okay. All right. Uh, go to Jaspers, everybody. What can people hear and, or what can people catch on uh, Nashville hockey now right now? Uh, yeah. So if you go to NashvilleHockeyNow.com, I have a story up uh, about the predators and their pursuit of Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, Nick Kieser has a great feature story on Zachary LaRue that we posted this morning, just kind of detailing his journey and kind of really good quotes in there from Scott Nickel about what he expects from LaRue as he jumps to uh, playing pro hockey either Friday or Monday, uh, depending on whenever you're listening to this, we will have our organizational rankings of the Predators' top 20 prospects with full breakdown, and then we'll go into that further on next week's Gold Standard with me and Gover. There you have it. Uh, get to him on X at MG Sports underscore. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Uh, always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. We really appreciate it. Hope your summer is going well. Uh, obviously, rate, review, and subscribe. Share the product. And please, please, please go to Jaspers. It will not disappoint you, I promise. For Michael, I am Braden. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.